This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. South Dining, right here on MPB Think Radio. Malcolm White, Carol Palmer, Fishtails. Ready the, or not. <laughs> the title of today's show. <laughs> and we've got some. We've got some fishtails. Carol, how are you? Mal, I'm great. I'm really good. And I was even better looking at cooking and coping and seeing all the things you were eating. Yeah, it was a busy weekend. At the White House, yes. <laughs> we're so blessed because we can go to Dugan Seafood uh, and buy fresh seafood, and Melissa and David Patterson supply us with a constant and consistent uh, offering of fresh veggies. So we, we've been at it. So. You know, tomatoes, 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 cucumbers, uh, squash. Uh, it's been great. Eggplant. So tell us about the dish. The dish. The dish. The vegetable dish. Oh, the ratatouille. Yes. Well, David had given me a few uh, of these uh, Chinese eggplants, the long, skinny ones. Yep. Right? So I was looking for something to do with them. I had fresh tomatoes, fresh zucchini. I had onions. I had garlic. So I made a little ratatouille. And, um, and just you said it. you cooked it down. Cooked How it down. long did you cook it down? Well, and did you use anything besides the water that came out of the vegetables? Nope. Uh, garlic, onion, tomato, and all of the juices from fresh tomatoes, of course. Uh, that's a lot of juice. And that was what needed to be. Uh, two things needed to be cooked down. The garlic and onions needed to be cooked. The tomatoes needed to be stewed down. And eggplant needed to... Uh, you know, be incorporated into all of that. So I cooked it um, for about uh, 20 minutes, turned it off, let it sit on the stovetop for a while. And I love not being in a hurry and just like cooking things for a, a little while, sort of getting them going and then put a top on it and push it to the back of the stove and let the magic happen. So that's what I did with that dish. So then I put it in a, a container, put it in the refrigerator, then went down to Dugan's and bought some lemon fish and a pound of lump crab meat. Ooh. And so that night, <clears throat> I panned the redfish. Uh, and at the very end of the cooking, I added fresh lemon and butter into the pan and then dumped the crab meat right next to the fillet, the fish fillets, and, and put a top on that and let it sit for a few minutes. Now, the fish was about medium rare by the mm -hmm. time I did this. I didn't want it to overcook. So then I took it all out and put the fish over the ratatouille and then the lump crab meat on top with the lemon butter sauce over that. That was mighty fine. Oh, that sounds fine. Then I saw a mighty fine tomato pie. Kara made a beautiful tomato pie. You know, <clears throat> Estes Key is our uh, resident our tomato, tomato pie, pie maker. Down in Bay St. Louis. Right, so... Estes, thank you for inspiring. And there were so many tomato tarts and tomato pies on cooking and coping this week. Just some beautiful, beautiful stuff made with heirloom tomatoes, some of them. Just tis yeah. the season. And and speaking of that, I have a question. Well, I, well, let me tell you this about the heirlooms. We use some of those purple heirlooms that David grew. And we also have had uh, some better boys that David grew. So it was a, the pie 
and the ratatouille are combinations of these two tomatoes. Um, so anyway, that's the type that we get because of our provider, because of what David and Melissa grow. Uh, but anyway, in the in the tomato pie recipe, you know, fresh basil, a crust, tomatoes, sliced tomatoes, various seasonings. But Kara uh, added fresh mozzarella, mozzarella to this. So it was a cheese and mozzarella pie. And then when I posted a picture of it, David Patterson said, don't forget you can add a pound of crab meat or a pack of crawfish tails or some bacon to that and really change the flavor of the tomato pie. Never thought of it. Three good options beyond just cheese and tomatoes. Well, the question I have for you is about tomatoes. Do you peel or not peel? Well, we peel the uh, better boys because they have a very tough skin. We sometimes peel um, the purple ones. I forget their official name. Cherokee purple. Cherokee, there you go. If they're large and the skin is tough. But you can actually eat the skin of the purples on a sandwich or in a salad. So it's optional. But when we made the pie, we skinned everything. So you'd have that fresh uh, tomato uh, uh, sk- uh, meat. Well, personally, I, I, I don't I don't peel. And I didn't realize what a deal it was till reading some of the Facebook posts. And it was like, you know, you found out some things you didn't know about people. Like, I had no idea Lee Bailey at Salad Day's farm was a peeler. A tomato peeler. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm a peeler, too. You're a peeler. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a peeler. You're a peeler. You're a peeler. <laughs> Java, you a peeler? I don't do tomatoes. Oh, you don't even oh. fool with them. Oh, well, there okay, you go. I'm, yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm not on this conversation. Okay. Well, let me <laughs> yeah. tell you another thing that the Pattersons put on us was a bag of fresh figs. So... Kara made a fig crumble that was just divine. It just, you know, she just made it like in a big uh, open container and just, you know, roasted it, browned it. I mean, it was so good. Those figs were so sweet well, and fresh. Well, tis the season. Mm, you got to eat them. Also, she made a zucchini salad. And uh, so, and I made a, a tomato and a cucumber salad. So we had so much to eat this weekend, it was ridiculous. Now, once upon a time, uh, Carol, uh, when Carol makes these wonderful pastries, they often they make to, it into yeah. the studio on Monday. But I guess this fig crumble um, went, went another direction. I, I think it did indeed. <laughs> yeah, good intentions. Uh, I actually thought about that, but I did not. But thankfully, you furnished us with bags of Sour Patch Kids because today is National Sour Candy Day, Carol. I'll bet you didn't know that. Well, um, I hadn't had a sour candy in probably about 50 years. Well, we had it in that drink the other day oh, at the sushi right, place. Oh, that's right, at the sushi place. But these are our very own chewable yeah. Sour Patch candies. So, uh, happy Sour Patch. Or <laughs> sour Candy Day. Sour it's just candy a little, day you know, a little something for your tongue. Since <laughs> I don't see y'all, I'm wishing you happy National Hot Dog Day on Wednesday. Wednesday is National Hot Dog Day. And, uh, of course, if we mention that, typically the phones light up. Everybody <laughs> and their uncle wants to talk about hot dogs, which is good. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Carol, did you see the story I, I sent you about the grease Fatberg about how to dispose of, of we cooking. don't want fatbergs burgers. <laughs> fatburgers yes yeah, so tell tell her well I, I just saw an article about what to do with your used gr- oil after you fry something 
Java, you saw that? I saw that, and that's always the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, well, what what do you do with the grease? <laughs> well, you know, I've struggled with this. I used to take it out in the yard, which is terrible, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, because right? you don't want to put it down the drain. That's like an absolutely no-no. Uh, so I'm looking for, I think it was baking soda that this uh, story said you should pour baking soda over it. And it congeals it. It congeals it, and then you can scrape it out and dispose of it. So I'd never tried that, but I'm going to try it next time because it used a term I wasn't familiar with. If you pour hot grease in your down your sink, it creates fat, fat burgers. Bergs, fat burgers, <laughs> and it and they grow, and they, because they attract it's other like other things coming, the blobs in the sink, and then you got to call who. Roto-Rooter. Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> or tune in to Fix It 101. So there you, you go. can hear some, uh, some DIY uh, pipe cleaning tips. <laughs> yeah, uh, they might know about the, the, yeah, so the fat now, birds. Malcolm, we need to dig deeper in, into this exactly and, and find out what people can do because it's a huge problem. It is. I strain mine a lot and use it over and over as much as I can. But, you know, after a few... Fried oyster outings, it, yeah, it gets it, it gets, gets to gets be a pretty problem. Weird. Yeah, yeah, I wonder if that's something uh, our listeners could probably help us out with. If you have your uh, very own, uh, you know, variation of getting rid of your fried grease, then give us a call. Let us know what what you do. Yeah. Well, in our house, we went from the sublime to the splatter splattering <laughs> of grease, but uh, John's birthday was. Thursday, and you know what to get John mm. for his birthday. We had Leanne Galt come and cook dinner just for the two of us at oh, the Go okay. Away Lodge, and it was so fantastic. You know, she's such a such a great cook. But we have been eating on this dinner now for days and days and days. She it was a a salmon with a. Mm. Creme fraiche with something called kuzu and preserved lemons on top. That was the first course. That sounds good. And then she did a sable fish in parchment paper, which is a kind of a cod. And that was baked like in a Korean sauce. And it was on top of coconut rice. And then with some bok choy. And it was absolutely (laughs) delicious. And there were some bits and pieces left over. Like one piece of fish, and there was, you know, some rice left over, and two or three pieces of salmon. So we took those and, I, you know, cut up the, the, I mean, the sable fish and steamed it and put it on little lettuce cups. Uh-huh. And that was delicious. And um, it was a gift that keep, kept, giving. kept giving. And And it ended yesterday. She had a black sable rice cake that was crispy. And I re-crisp them and put poached eggs and hollandaise on them. So it was oh for breakfast or brunch. It was great, but my real failure came with uh, fatberg and with oh, grease. Yeah. Have so, you ever fried corn? Yes. And made cream corn? No. This I I was trying to make corn fritters. Oh. And the corn broke apart, and just the kernels were in the. I mean, it splattered everywhere. Everywhere. Wow. So exactly what did you do? I obviously did not put enough flour in the batter 
But I did read that. I mean, anytime those kernels come loose in hot oil, I mean, you can have popcorn all over your kitchen. Hmm. And indeed, I did. So back to the fat bird, this article said use baking soda, uh, which most people have sitting around their kitchen, and it easily cuts through the grease and oil due to the alkaline properties. No need to worry about damaging your pots or pans when you use it as baking soda is so mild that it will only affect the oil itself. So what you do is you sprinkle uh, some baking soda over the oil until it creates a paste, then you can easily scrape up the paste and dispose of it properly without it going into your pipes or your sewer or the environment. So just say Thanks no to fat for the hot tip. Just say no to fatbergs. Now, the corn fritters that blew up. Yes. Uh, tell me how you made the fritters or, or the... Well, with an egg and flour and milk. And, and, and just salt kernels and of corn? And kernels of corn. In fact, I brought you guys some fresh ears of corn this morning and, of course, left them at home. But yeah, I'll kind, be back. Kind of like the fig crumble. Yeah, yeah but so I'll, a nice I'll container on the, on yeah, the It's counter. sitting right there had, in the kitchen. I've had so much corn. I mean, I've had 48 ears of corn that I've 48 ears of so, corn on the wall. Take yeah, one down. Pass it yeah. around. So anyway, this recipe was supposed to make them kind of flat and crispy, and it said, you know, put a spoonful of the corn mix mm. in the hot oil and then like a hush puppy yeah but then pat on it with the top of your spoon to flatten it out right let me tell you something that does not you work. pat it and it explodes it explodes okay yep. well if anyone has um, an answer to how to fry a corn fritter give us a call and we would uh, love to hear from you it's one 672 7464 And we're going to take a break because it's that time of the morning. Again, our show today is entitled Fish Tales. Carol Palmer and I will be right back with our special guest, John Lester. John's been on the show before, and he is uh, well-versed in the seafood industry, a working chef. He's been in and out of a bunch of kitchens. He's got great stories and even better recipes to share. So stay tuned as we stalk summer seafood and make suggestions about things that you could be eating right now. We'll be right back. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. Bricks ain't grocery, eggs ain't poultry, and Mona Lisa was a man. Welcome back to Deep South Dining. It's Carol. little Milton. That's right. Is that right, Java? Exactly right. Of course. That's one of Carol's favorites. I know. Yeah. I'm sorry I sang on the end. I didn't mean to. Because <laughs> no. I know it sounded croaky and bad. <laughs> it's Monday morning. It's Deep South Dining. Carol Palmer, Malcolm White. And guess who we have in the studio? We have someone else in the studio. John Lester has joined us here. Good morning, John. Morning, Al. He's a Mississippi celebrity. He is. <laughs> you know, I posted on Cooking and Coping a picture of that ratatouille I made. And one of the responses was, yeah, your photograph and your food look great, but let's talk about John Lester. He's fabulous. Because <laughs> well, I mentioned you. that I'd gotten some some fish from and crab meat from yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. So you got a fan base out there. Yeah, yeah. We've been around a while. And, yeah, uh, and, and we, tell our listeners the story of 
of Dugans because we have people from all over the state that don't know about the all over the world. All over the world. We're big in Portugal. In Portugal and Peru. I got a friend who was in Portugal last week. Uh, anyway, uh, so did they ask him about deep south dining? He, well, they did. He wanted to know how you were. <laughs> yeah, we're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, Dugan's been around since '73. Uh, uh, Earl and Laura were from Baton Rouge area. He, he was born on the Mississippi coast. She was born uh, around the Baton Rouge area, um, and came up. And they just first started selling shrimp out in front of uh, Howard Brothers. You know where Howard Brothers was? It'll, it'll, uh, it's, it's right next to the Kroger on oh, I fifty yeah. five years hmm. ago. It was yeah. a precursor to Walmart kind of thing. Wow! Yeah, I and, forgot about that place. Yeah. Uh, shows your age if you know that place. Yeah. Um, anyway, they... Uh, if you remember 1973, yeah. it shows your age. <laughs> so uh, they were selling shrimp only. And uh, the way that we got to the DeVille Plaza corner was he was trying to figure out how to get across the interstate over there to the motel. And he had pulled in that parking lot, turned around, and about four people cornered him <laughs> with their vehicles. And I uh, wouldn't let him leave till they got their shrimp. And we've been there ever since. And uh, and he sold out of the back of a, a pickup pickup truck. truck with a camper on it. Hmm. And his wife, who sweetie, mm-hmm. Laura, sat in the sat in the back, and they had a scale yeah. hanging. So um, it, it it's a kind of a been a rustic kind of uh, existence. Uh, we changed it, Sheila and I. A uh, year or two in, uh, after Doogie passed, uh, to using, it's it's really a modified snow cone trailer, like a little food trailer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that way, both of us could be inside. We could have two lines going, have a uh, little little break from the elements, uh, and had more room to uh, provide uh, uh, more selection. And you're there two days a week, right? Thursday and Friday, ten to six. And, Carol, as I approached uh, John's snow cone trailer for some crab meat and some lemon fish the other day, I got there right at 10 because you told me he opened at 10. I'd been there earlier, and I said, he's not here. Malcolm was stressed out. He yeah. texted well, me I wouldn't at say 7, stressed out, but yeah. 7.30. Well, there were several exclamation points. There's no seafood truck. He's yeah. not here. <laughs> yeah, I but get, anyway, so I, you told the story about Dugan getting surrounded when he pulled in the lot. When I stepped out of my car and walked up to John's trailer, like nine people poured out of their cars and got right in line behind me, queuing up to be first in line. And somehow I sort of felt like I got ahead of them, but I wasn't really planning to do that. Yeah, sometimes the line, even on 100-degree days, are long, long, long. But people who shop there expected. You know, we know that we're going to get the best product, and it's it's like going to an old timey fish market. Yeah, and uh, and we we try to give a good product and and good service. Uh, people, you know, I hate seeing people wait in line, but it's almost like a tradition. People that hadn't seen each other in years, sorority sisters, hadn't seen each other in twenty years, or sometimes you'll see three generations of the same family in line. Uh, so it, it's a, it's kind of a meeting place. A friend of mine was in line about four people back, and on my way to my car, he stopped and we visited. And he said, "You know, coming here for seafood's kind of like going to see your therapist." <laughs> <laughs> Truly, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I've been known to uh, offer some advice sometimes. <laughs> yeah. uh, you take it or not. You know? yeah. <laughs> uh, another thing that fascinates me about standing in line is how many people are there from other places. Sure. And, you know, you know, I worked in the Delta for a number of years, and you'll always see people that have driven down from Greenwood, Greenville, Indianola, Cleveland to buy Fish. I think we irritate the doctors because uh, people make their appointments <laughs> on Thursdays and Fridays, so it'll coincide with us being there. And ah. some of those guys are trying to leave at noon, you know. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, they they come from all over the state, and from uh, we get we get folks from Louisiana. Yeah, from like Monroe. Mm-hmm. I've met yeah. I've met people from Monroe in line, <clears throat> and also people from South Mississippi in the fall who are on their way to a football game sure. mm-hmm. Star- in Starkville mm-hmm. or Oxford will come with huge ice chests yeah. to, you know, to get shrimp. To go tailgate up, you know, in, in, at Oxford or, or in Starville, yeah. So were you a Dugan's customer? Uh, of course. I met Doogie uh, when he was there in front of the Kroger, the uh, Howard Brothers, uh, with my mom when I was a teenager. And we just hit it off and uh, had a relationship for years. He was kind of like my dad. I knew him for 40-something years, you know. And uh, I used to be a network guy for LDDS and WorldCom and uh, other places, the Department of Education. But anyway, uh, a lot of times Doogie would like to uh, take old computer equipment and we would revamp it and give it to uh, shut-in folks with, uh, that couldn't get out that he knew of down in Baton Rouge or up here. And so we... Uh, and he lived in Baton Rouge. <clears throat> he did. He was born in Gulfport, but uh, he, he he lived in Baton Rouge most of his life. And then he, they would come up and he they would spend the night same, in the same, same hotel uh, room. There's a method to the madness on the Thursday-Friday deal is that uh, Monday, Tuesday, everybody's back to work, back to school. Uh, you rely on the old standby recipes and stuff. Um, Wednesday night, people, a lot of people eating at church. By Thursday and Friday, you can see the weekend, and you're starting to think about, hey, let's do a steak, let's do some seafood, let's do something uh, a little more elaborate. So, John, before you bought Dugan's, which you bought it in what year? Oh, Lord. Um, I think it was 2008. Okay. Before that, you had a career, a multiple Prong career. Yeah, you were, as you say, you were a network guy, IT guy. You worked for the state. But before but that, you were a restaurant guy. I was. You, you and I were in the same business yes. for a long time. You worked at Main Harbor. You worked at the Lamar. Talk about those those days. And we also worked at um, Oliver's back in the day. And, and uh, So did I. As did Mal. <laughs> yep. What year were you at Oliver's, or years? Uh, it was right as it started. Um, With Latham, Latham and Joey Latham was Mitchell. my assistant manager, and Joey... Mitchell was the was the main main manager, right. yeah. and uh, I can remember when there were twenty five cent oysters in the bar at happy hour at yeah. Oliver's. You know, yeah. yeah. Well, I, that was that was one of my creations, and, yeah. and little baby was my shucker. Yeah, uh, yeah. But anyway, he recently had Chef a, Sterling was there. At that's one right, point. Sterling. Yeah. Man, that's great. Long so were you ago. in the kitchen? Yes, ma'am. I was a I was a sous chef or assistant chef type person. Uh, Loved it. Um, I've been cooking for years, but um, that was that restaurant was a French kind of inspired restaurant. And I felt like it was a little ahead of its time for Jackson or I think it'd still be here. 
Do you remember our maitre d' Jacques, the mm-hmm. French maitre d', which yeah. was cool? I uh, I still see several people that were waiters or bus po- bu- bus boys bu- uh, bus people people yeah <laughs> politically incorrect I'm sorry. but uh, waiters uh, all kinds of folks that. Uh, um, Fred Cerami was our Budweiser guy. Right. And I remember he came in and told me one day that, uh, John, I'm going to have the best Italian restaurant in Jackson. And then it wasn't long after they opened the one out the reservoir. So. Yeah. Fred yeah. Cerami started vending hot dogs at, on the yep. corner of, of Hattiesburg while he was at USM. Yeah. And yeah. came to Jackson, worked for Budweiser, then opened up his famous restaurant on the reservoir, yes. which is now great. Shuckers. It was great. Uh, everybody remembers the little uh, salad bar wagon deal. That was the hot dog cart. It was. That, <laughs> that he had in Hattiesburg. Yes. Well, John, this solves a, a mystery for me because, you know, one of the things I love about coming and buying from you is that you always share a recipe or a how to do something. And I hear you doing that with the other customers when I'm waiting, waiting in line. And I told Malcolm, I, I knew you were a great cook, but I had no idea you you had been a professional. Yes, uh, for years. Uh, but, you know, people get intimidated by seafood more than they do most other foods. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I like to uh, help them with that and and clear the mystique and the mystery. And, and it's, it's really fairly simple. Most seafood is fairly hot and fast. So get your sides ready, have everything ready to go, and, you know, you're going to go in pretty quick and you're out, and so don't be scared of it. It's, right. And don't overcook it. Don't overcook That's the main thing, hot and fast, you know. And if you seal it up with a, you know, like if you're trying to pan sear some fish or something, it's going to be great. And you don't need to worry about a sauce if you start out with a great first product, you know, initial product. Um all right, before we break, we're going to take us caller. Sue's calling from Beaumont. What's going on, Sue? Hadn't heard from you in a while. Hi, I'd like to ask y'all a question. I hope it's not too far off point here, but uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, how do you make a salmon patty that won't fall apart when you're cooking it? A salmon patty. How do you yeah. make a good salmon croquette to keep it from falling apart? In the first right. segment, we talked about Carol's corn, corn fritter fritters coming apart. So I would say... Uh, it's if you uh, mince it up well, and I would use an egg white, not, ser- not necessarily a whole egg. One, an egg white will make it uh, crispier and lighter and not quite as uh, heavy and rich because the salmon's already kind of have uh, rich in itself. Um, I believe that and then it, what, other, uh, what other veggies that you or add like to onion, it, pepper, onion, pepper, whatever, you, garlic. Um, Finely, finely mince it. Mm-hmm. I think the, the key on that is uh, smaller pieces that will bind together better. Do you use a breading at all? I usually don't, mm-hmm. but some folks do. Uh, and I, I, you could use anything from panko to just a regular, uh, you know, breadcrumbs. Yeah, right. Well, Sue, I hope that helps. Uh, we appreciate that you Thank always you. listen and call in. Your, your input is greatly appreciated. So we're going to take a short break here, and when we come back, we're going to have John Lester on, continuing to talk about the world of seafood. We're going to get into what's going on in the world of the vast and complicated world of seafood uh, and um, our environment. And uh, we will also get him to share a few recipes. He's always full of those. We appreciate you listening to Deep South Dining. Today's show is called Fish Tales, and we'll be right back with John Lester. 
Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Each week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. Welcome back, Deep South Dining, Malcolm White, Carol Palmer. In the studio with us today, our special guest, John Lester. Welcome back, John. Yeah, good to be here. On the break, we were talking a couple about a couple of things. One was the fritter, the binding of the fritter. We talked about a uh, the corn fritter that Carol uh, shared earlier, and then we talked about a salmon croquette. Mm-hmm. And John, you had a few suggestions, and and they were all sounded great to me. But you want to elaborate on that a touch? Uh, yeah. So on the on the fritter coming apart, uh, Carol had mentioned you know uh, a little the batter was a little lighter, and I agree with that. A, a heavier batter would hold it all together. And my, my thought was uh, making sure to not cut too close to the to the cob so that you don't have a big whole uh, kernel and then scrape the juice from the cob uh, and add that to your your recipe and I think it'd be I think it'd be great so. yeah thanks for that and we also got over the break a text from our good friend and listener uh, Pippa Perry Jackson Pippa Perry Jackson and uh, she sent us her mama's recipe that they make for the Neshoba County Fair. Mm. And I will post that, but it's fried corn, more like sounds more like cream corn, but you scrape the corn, milk the cob, put butter in a black iron skillet, cook the corn, add a little flour, not much. Yeah. Just more enough. butter. <laughs> more butter. Then more butter. <clears throat> And then lots of pepper. And bake it. So it sounds, it sounds really, really great. And uh, her, her take on peeling versus no peeling of tomatoes. She said it's like the Dukes and Hellman's mayonnaise Correct. thing. Yeah. You, you just one or the other. Everybody for themselves. Yeah. 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 And, yep. and don't be pause when opinionated. That's be right. Be tolerant and loving to others. Yes. If you want to peel, you peel. You if peel. I want to peel, I peel. No John, doubt. Whatever you want to do, we support you. Another thing with the tomatoes, the, the later it gets in the season, it seems to me that the larger tomatoes get a little tougher skin yeah. later. In them. So then you peel. Yeah. But before we go into global issues of seafood, <laughs> you were talking about pan sautéing um so fish so i I, i'm going to give you a piece of fish okay i'm going to give you a grouper fillet all right and talk us through what you're going to do with that well what i would do is i would uh probably rinse it pat it dry i'm gonna season it um i'm gonna decide whether i'm gonna dust it with flour or not and if i do that i usually season the flour also if it's over maybe an inch thick I'm probably going to heat my oven up to 400, and I'm going to use a pan that I can uh, drop in the oven. And I will sear it at medium-high on both sides and and get some caramelization and some color going. And if it's thicker, like an inch and a half or so, then I'll drop it in that oven for about another 8 minutes, 10 minutes. Um, The other thing I do is I look to see which side had the skin and which side I call the cut side that was on the bone. I usually do the cut side down first because 
you've cut through that protein and the natural sugars are present. So you could do that cut side down first. It's going to caramelize up prettier and look nicer. So when you flip it over and present it on the plate. So when you're Fabulous talking tip. about searing it, you're doing like a minute on each side. Minute, minute and a half. And that's the difference. I call that pan searing mm-hmm. and versus a saute. A saute is going to be a lower temp with uh, more of a liquid or a fat content, you know, a higher higher liquid or fat content, whereas a uh, pan sear is going to be much high, uh, higher temperature, like medium high, and uh, not very much, just a slight amount of uh, oil. Or, or, you know. So grouper is a pretty thick fillet. Usually, and it's a bigger flake and really mild. Yep. And so I'm going to give you a thinner piece of fish, and you're just going to stick it in the oven for maybe... Three minutes. Yeah, afterwards, if you after do it the same way, sear? if you feel like, uh, or if you've got too much going on and you've gotten it seared, but you don't think it's quite ready, and you're trying to play with uh, veggies and stuff, yeah, you can always drop it in there. I would, I would turn that temp down, and I wouldn't leave it in there, but less than five minutes. Yeah, yeah good. And also on the break, we you had a different twist on the tomato tart. We were talking about the tomato pie in the right. first segment there, but you you were you had some suggestions about uh, how you how you use the fresh tomatoes to make pie or tart. Yeah, I, I like uh, using some uh, homegrown tomatoes, and I like a variety like y'all were talking about. But I like to add a fresh cut up uh, Vidalia onion, very thinly cut up, layer it in uh, fresh basil. And I'll cut some uh, garlic into real thin slivers and get some good fresh Parmesan. And layer that up and then a good bit of Parmesan on top with uh, kosher salt and cracked pepper and can't beat it. Mm. Mm. So, John, give us the lay of the land of the seafood industry and fisheries and rules and regs and how difficult it is to get and how, you know, just kind of fill us in on the state of the seafood industry uh, in the Gulf South, let's say? Well, the, the current state has evolved from the last year to uh, with COVID and rest, lots of restaurants being closed, especially down in uh, South Louisiana, New Orleans. They, they were closed for a long, long time. So it's made some of these fishermen and vendors kind of reinvent themselves in, in ways to where they're actually selling directly to restaurants compared to in years before they would come in and sell to wholesalers in the mostly New Orleans area and across the Mississippi coast. Um, and then that would be disseminated out to restaurants via the, uh, the wholesalers. Well, that has changed um, with the, the necessity of these guys trying to stay in business and make a living when most of these restaurants closed, they ended up deciding to like the uh, soft shell guys they call those people shedders Mm -hmm. and they have started selling directly to restaurants and some of the oyster fishermen have started uh, sacking up oysters um, for shucking and selling them directly to the uh, the restaurants which uh, it it has an effect ripple effect all the way down the line like the shuckers that, that do pints and quarts and gallons now they don't get um, a variety of sizes. They get mainly the bigger oysters because the oyster fishermen are, are culling out these smaller ones, sacking them up, and selling them directly to restaurants. Mm. Uh, in the crab industry, uh, the selects have the last few years gone up to the East Coast to try to make up for 
over harvesting and pollution on the east coast they they come down in big trucks and 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 uh, pay more for the number ones the selects so the crab pickers that that cook and pick the crabs for crab meat you know jumbo lump and such they uh don't get the what you might call the the boat run or the boat select selection of all sizes of crabs hmm. so it makes their uh, uh their yield less so uh, the other thing is that fishermen, with the price of uh, diesel being up, and most of the boats run diesel, it's a big roll of dice to decide to put hundreds or thousands, or in in the case of a 100-foot shrimp boat, it might be $100,000 worth of diesel fuel in there. And then go out for a day or two, it's, uh, it, you know, some of them have backed off from doing that uh, with the prices being so high because you don't know with the weather and what's going on and what your catch is going to be. You and I were talking earlier, and, and you, you were telling me that you, you felt like the turn, the big change in the market and the industry really began in 1969 with uh, Hurricane Camille, and then it has just progressed through Katrina and oil spills and supply chain and fuel prices and on and on and on and on and on. Yes, uh, I, I feel like uh, Camille... Uh, Changed the coast in, in a way to where there was uh, not as many uh, dock areas, ice houses, processing plants. It just all got just blown away, uh, mainly from the from the uh, from the water. But uh, then, what immediately came in after that was the gaming industry, which has been great for the coast. But again, it it bought up a lot of that area. So most of the seafood industry is on Back Bay now. Um, and from then on, every time a, a major occurrence happens like that, an event, you have uh, attrition where the, the family members of these, these uh, fishing families that have been around forever uh, don't go back into it or they'll, they'll lose their equipment, their boat, and can't afford to get back into it. Uh, that happened with Katrina. That happened at the oil spill, but just because of the industry was down, you couldn't sell, couldn't couldn't go out. So it it changes the the way it's the way it's done, and uh, there's less less fishermen out there and less product coming in, uh, and there's been government regulations added to that. So it's changed the the, the landscape, and I'm not sure how it's going to shake out but i have a feeling it's not going to go back to the way it was i think once you change something like that i think it's it moves on Mm -hmm. you know i remember hurricane camille uh my family had a home down there and past christian was home to some of the world's largest Mm -hmm. oyster beds and hurricane camille destroyed the you know the oyster reefs and i know they've been building them back are they Back in business now. They are, Maybe. but the uh, opening the the spillway on the river yeah. a couple of years ago, all that um, fresh water yeah. Yeah. killed them all. What they're doing now is across the Gulf, uh, probably over as far as uh, into Florida um, and Texas and all across the Gulf, is they're farming orchards now, which is a great thing, and they're a great product. Um, people tend to shy away from the term farms but it just depends on what you're talking about it's sustainable uh they're they're just a great product and that's going to help the industry but they're still trying to seed 
out and bring back the the natural reefs and all. It's just a long process. Yeah, well, I noticed because I do buy a lot of oysters mm-hmm. from you that most of them that you sell come from Alabama. That's right. And so, tell us a little bit about that that area and the characteristics and quality of those the, oysters. The, one of the reasons that we we I go and buy shrimp, crabby, and oysters from uh, South Alabama. I tell people I go to L.A. every Wednesday, (laughs) and the difference of the L.A. you're thinking about and the L.A. I go to is there's less teeth and more white boots. Yeah, but uh, that would be lower Alabama. Alabama, That's it. So I go to a place called Fowl River, uh, Bayou Battery, Fowl River, and it's uh, just just minutes north of uh, Dolphin Island. The reason we ended up there, Doogie started going there. He would Doogie would start from Baton Rouge and go all the way across the coast and end up with buying orchards in Alabama. But he would buy fish in, in Louisiana. He'd buy shrimp in Mississippi. But, again, what we've been talking about, uh, Camille and all these other events, have changed things where a lot of the boats that were docking in the Mississippi coast, the closest, easiest, and safest place to go was over in the Bayou Battery area. Mm-hmm. It was too far to go over into Louisiana. And uh, so that's how we ended up there. And we've but been they've dealing, had a strong oyster do. history. I mean, they do. Some of the best orchards around used to be harvested right there um, near the bridge that goes out to uh, Dolphin Island. And uh, they have a strong shrimp industry there. Uh, the, these really big white shrimp that I call them blue ribs. Uh, uh, U10s and U8s, they're really big, but they have these little blue stripes on them mm-hmm. uh, on the tail. They're, uh, they're a great shrimp. Uh, they're also, though, one of the hurricanes, I don't remember which one it was, blew a little canal through Dolphin Island, and it let the conks in, and they are bad about drilling in and just t- just destroying an oyster bed. Mm. They they love to eat oysters. So. Don't want to let those guys no, in. No, keep the conks out. Yeah. <laughs> they can stay in Key West. Yeah. And the Florida oysters have really been struggling. Uh, yeah, Apalachicola. Apalachicola used to be. Great product. And now it, they got the same problem we have in, in two, Mississippi Gulf. Two problems. Um, and, and that affects most places that, that do oysters. Um, one, uh, over-harvesting. But two is there's there's a river there too, and for two or three years in a row, the amount of fresh water that was coming down was way more than kind of like our problem was with having to open the spillway. Yeah. It's a huge political issue, it actually. Is. The water comes from Georgia, mm-hmm. and uh, Florida and Georgia fight over over, mm-hmm. over this water that Georgia is taking too much of, of this water, and it's affecting the industry. Mm-hmm. And they're starting to bring that up on the Mississippi, too, for out west. But anyway, that's another story. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. All right, we uh, have a caller asking uh, John from Dugans to repeat his hours of operation and be clear about where they can shop with you. Okay, um, so we have two locations. We've got the DeVille Plaza location, which is Canton Mark Square Road and the Frontage Road in North Jackson. And we're there every Thursday and Friday, 10 to 6. 10 to 6. And then we have a second one in Gluckstadt on Gluckstadt Road. Uh, It's about a half a mile from the highway to the west, like you're going out towards Caroline. And uh, he's there Thursday and Friday, 10 to 6, and most Saturdays, 10 to 2, if we can get enough product. Oh, so you have the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I guess this would be, Carol, what we would call a seafood pop-up, like one of the original Absolutely. pop-ups. <laughs> no bricks and mortar no. in the back of a truck. 
Kind of old school. Old school. Yeah, yeah, it's an old school fish market. And for the uh, the caller that wants to know about the location, the CVS Pharmacy in the DeVille Plaza parking Correct. lot is a good landmark because he's to the mm. yeah to the side South, of that right there in that corner. Mm-hmm. Well, I was telling, I was sharing with John that I was went out to eat Saturday night to a restaurant uh, who buys fresh seafood and the, the owner was telling me he only had two kinds of fish because some other restaurant got his fish, got mm-hmm. his grouper and got, and John and I were laughing about, you know, the, the preciousness of, of fresh seafood. And if, when they call and they have product and you don't answer, they're going to sell it to someone else. Without yeah. a doubt. And, and that is a manifest, manifestation of what we've been talking about, the changes in the industry. It used to be, a little more plentiful, and you didn't have to be just right on it. But nowadays, uh, restaurants, if they're going to buy and, and your your fish guy's calling, you you answer the phone. Yeah. yeah. Well, I noticed because of being in the line that you sell to restaurants and caterers, too. So mm-hmm. you have a lot of masters. Yeah. Uh, we used to sell uh, to several restaurants in town. Uh, and We've kind of backed off of that some, but I do a lot of caterers these days. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's cool. So what is what are your top sellers? I mean, you, you, you have Gulf Seafood, and, like, what is the thing or the things, the list of things that, that are most often called for? Well, you had salmon over the weekend. It sounded like a really good dish. Uh, my Our largest fish seller is, uh, is the salmon. Hmm. And it's Not a, even a local fish? No, it's Norwegian, wow. but it's... To me, I call it's domestic because it's from this continent. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's Norwegian, cold water, makes all the difference. Uh, it's grouped in with Atlantic, but uh, which gets a bad name because of the farm stuff from down in South America. But um, we used to buy, uh, used to come in from Scotland, and there yeah. was a, there was a, a volcano uh, in Iceland, Greenland, Reykjavik, somewhere like that. And the ash was blowing over, and the planes couldn't take off. So this is on the other side of the pond, so to speak. I think it's the same people that that do it because it tastes the same to me, looks the same. But anyway, so uh, salmon's the, the largest seller. Then it goes down to, like, uh, redfish and snapper and grouper. Uh, of course, I guess poundage-wise, the largest amount of what we sell is uh, shrimp, fresh shrimp. Mm. Wow. So snapper are running right now. Have you right. had had good snapper lately? I have, but it's been uh, it's been spotty, on again, off again. I think that goes back to uh, not availability, but to the viability as far as uh, these guys going out and making a living. Uh, I think you have uh, less of them. It's, it's further out, so you're burning more diesel. So uh, they've been going after other other fish. And there are a variety of shrimp. So what, what different types of shrimp do you offer typically? The, the ones I usually have, uh, a lot of times I'll have uh, some Royal Reds. They are caught in one main area, um, almost out there where the oil spill was. There's mm-hmm. a kind of a deeper trench area right there. And they're about, um, oh, uh, half a mile, quarter mile down. And most, most shrimp boats are not set up to be able to do that. Um, and then there's uh, the white shrimp, and then there's a brown shrimp. Uh, we also you usually have, um, throughout the year occasionally, we'll have a Key West pink. Yeah, I've gotten those before. Right. They yeah. have a little red dot on their tail. And then back at the Apalachicola area, that same shrimp is called a hopper 
but it's not a white sandy bottom like the Keys. It's more of a, since that river comes in there, mm. it's more of a muddy or red sand bottom. So they're brown, little, they're browner, but they still have that little uh, dot on the tail. And they call them hoppers because you can see them jumping through the wake of the shrimp boat. So. What's your favorite way to cook shrimp? Oh, Lord. Uh, I, I guess I, I like to... Uh, I don't know. I pan sear them a lot, but I will. I will, uh, and I'll change that up. Sometimes I'll dust them with flour, and sometimes I won't. Right. <clears throat> but uh, back to the the uh, frying something. Uh, if you want to do fried shrimp, egg white, not a whole egg. Do not use the yolk. Do not use the yolk because it it won't be um, as as much breading as say like fried chicken, but it'll be lighter and crispier. And I do that with uh, soft shells also. Mm-hmm. But just egg white or two in a bowl and whip it up with a fork till it uh, gets frothy and then go for it has it been a good season for soft shells or not it was not not this year at all i I think i'm attributing it to what's been happening in the last few years the shedders are uh, becoming a lost art uh it's it's hard work and it's technical nowadays they use tanks with lights to try to speed up time right where they'll uh more will shed at one time uh, so it, it's, um, it's a very specific niche and I, I just, I'm not sure what's going to happen with that, but this year I got half the amount of, uh, crabs that I normally would get. What about crawfish? People used to shed crawfish. Do yeah, you ever see and, that uh, soft shell crawfish one, anymore? I, ha- I have, I don't, I have not seen that offered in years. Uh, I used to get a po' boy down on the Mississippi coast that was a yeah. soft shell fried uh, we used to coffee. sell them at Hallam Mounds, and we got them from a guy in Perkingston who worked for the college, and it, he mm-hmm. retired, and his hobby was shelling shed, shed, crawfish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, why don't you guys in our last couple of minutes explain shedding? Whoops. Well, it's where the hard <laughs> shell comes off. Correct. And, 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 and they're, they have a very soft, soft young, yeah. immature shell. But you're shell. talking about doing it in a tank. tank. So th- okay. Forcing it. And the other crabs that are still hard shell will eat the the ones that have just shedded and what makes the shell harden again is the water but the 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 shedding they the crabs are called busters right and we'll talk more about that in the future meanwhile deep south dining is a production of mississippi public broadcasting's think radio we're funded by generous contributions from good folks like you we're produced by java chapman and for carol palmer and our special guest john lester i am malcolm white Thank you for joining us. We ask you to stay tuned now for Marshall Ramsey's show. Southern Remedy will follow at 11. And we're here every Monday for more Deep South Dining, replayed on Sunday and podcasts wherever you can grab it. 